Hey everyone, welcome to the Gene Odom podcast. Gene, how are you today? Pretty fair. Pretty fair? Good to hear it. Looking good. Uh, so a lot of you might Ooh, not be able... glasses are bad. You need to get your new glasses. <laughs> Making fun of my glasses. So today um, I'm going to touch on something a little different with you. Uh, we've explored, a, we've touched a little bit on the fact that you have written poetry. And if you can tell me a little bit about how that, what was the birth of that? What Because you, you really hadn't written much before that, before the plane crash, correct? No, no. Well, I wrote a poem back in elementary school, but uh, no, no. So just one and then didn't really didn't realize that you had that in you. You felt, did you feel an inspiration to do it? Well, with the head injury that I had in the plane crash, uh, Doctor Sy would probably lose a lot of memory and stuff, and so I just started jotting stuff down in the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, some like a note. You know, write a little bit, write something, you know, write a point. You know, sort of a poem. And I wrote several of these things in the hospital, and then the three years after the hospital, you know, healing up and back surgeries and back for back whatever, started putting stuff together. You know, yeah. a little poetry, and said one day I'll, I'll write a book. Actually. There was three girls that I met summer of 77. Young girls, 16-ish, really sweet girls. And uh, they kept on, my, on me about, I mean, you need to write a book, you need to write a book, you need to put a poetry, you know, you know, and stuff. So I started putting it together. And then they told me to do it. And then Alan Collins started to put his band together. He said, finish your book, put it together, and publish it yourself, and sell it at my shows. So that's how I. Put it together. Right. So, of course, the tragic events of uh, October 20th, 1977, inspired sort of a, some creativity from you, of course. And I believe I've also, uh, in my research, seen that you had, you also had a dream, dream about uh, about Ronnie that you shared with us. I uh, just was curious if you could just touch on that again. Yeah, it was a uh, uh, post-traumatic stress and um, kind of trouble sleeping. And having nightmares and you know things like that, and I had this dream, vision, what you want to call it. You know, Ronnie appeared, uh, and you know, of course, Gary and Alan they wasn't sure what they were going to do. You know, and they, you know, it was all over. Ronnie was gone. Everything was over, with. and so um, it just was a, a vision. And then he come to me, you know, and said, "Keep them, tell them to keep playing." You know, the boys. He called them his boys. Tell them to keep them playing. And um, I wrote a poem about that. I repeated that the other night. And um, all of it just because I had so much time mm -hmm. he healing up. Healing. You know, I didn't have you know, three years of just you know, doing that. And would you be open to sharing some of your poetry with us today? Um, I know that the audience would appreciate it, as would I, just to get some insight into where, you were, where your, your thoughts were at that time. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, I, I can do that then. I can hold it together, but yeah, um, certainly, you know, and um, uh, and something just to, you, I mean, in my experience with ever writing anything, you have to be inspired. Yeah, so yeah. you obviously felt that. Yeah, and um, he was he was gone, and we were not only we were good friends, we were fishing buddies, and we grew up together, you know, and um, he uh, really looked forward to. Uh, a living, 
and then his life cut so short and yeah. me being a part of it. Um, and it seemed like Ronnie had a, uh, his, uh, everything I've seen, footage and, and interviews and such, his, he, he really truly was a simple man like you've described yourself, so that you had that commonality. And he, uh, his, his, he, he, he was interviewed one time, I believe, in a bar, and they, it was like after a show, and the woman called him a star, and he stopped her right in her tracks and said, I'm not a star. He said, I'm, he, he, he defined success as being home with your family watching football hanging out you know so he was he never changed he never got that star trip going no he never did that's that is that's hard to do he was a blue jean and he was shirtless actually he's buried in a shirt like this oh is that right yeah and um, flannel with his fishing pole and his black hat and a flannel shirt yeah and it's this t-shirt is this this is d d dedicated to Ronnie it's a I'll never forget you sure you yeah know. And that's the the title of the book. Was yep, I'll, I'll never, never forget, forget you. you. You know, and um, and how, how could you? You could never. Such a defining moment in your life, a defining person in your life, really. Uh, he was uh, yeah. not, not only musician and, and songwriter, prolific songwriter. Prolific. Yeah. Um, Agreed. He he was. You could use the term prolific human being. He was a. You had to know him to know him. Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Good guy. Quality. And so I started writing, uh, putting, noting. Uh, note uh, noting, um, writing stuff down because I knew I was going to have trouble with my memory in the future, so I just started jotting stuff down. That was you know. smart. Yeah, and those those girls, Brenda, Brenda and Lisa, they stayed on me constantly. You know, do your book, finish your book, put the you know, do the, put the poems in. So we did, and um, um, to, with the. I hate to use the term post-traumatic stress, PTSD, but boy, I tell you what, it's it's real. I don't and you've been, you, your doctor told you it was one of the worst cases he's ever seen with you, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder times five. Wow. And, um, you know, it's a little bit the military, but, um, you know, divorces and the, you know, Ronnie, the plane crash, it's just a, a, a long nightmare. And so, um, I was, this was December 23rd of 77, this was, not, right after the crash. Not long after the crash, I was in, um, I think I just came home from the hospital. And uh, I was, this was hard because I, I, I couldn't take no medication or nothing. I can't take narcotics or nothing like that. Sleep was tough to come by, you know, a lot of times. I was going to ask you, how's your sleep? Now, do you sleep or you get? It's, 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 it's challenging, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's difficult. Um, usually when I, I'm so beat, like last night, I got home at 11 o'clock from that long drive. Yeah. I, you know, a couple hours I'll sleep hard, and then I'm up and up and down and up and down. Mm -hmm. I'm the prostate, I got to get up and pee every, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience can relate to that. That's ah. not, that's that's every man. That's they hit a certain point in their life. I'm so. thinking, I'm thinking about doing a uh, commercial. No, <laughs> I'm thinking about taking it out, you know, myself. You know, oh. just jump that sucker out of there, you know. And, and <laughs> that might be a, tough. Get me a little roofing knife and a mirror. And just gouge that prostate out. Yeah, let's let's let's, let's avoid that, Chief. <laughs> I might need somebody in the first aid to help me out. <laughs> okay, so let's let's hear this. I want to hear one of these. I, I've never read your poetry. Um, this was. I woke up one night, you know, and uh, thinking about him. This one is there's 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 two of these. This is like gone, but will never be forgotten. Just the one started the book, and I'll read the other one that ended mm -hmm. the, 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 this book. Gone, but will never be forgotten. A true Southern gentleman, I'm sure you'll agree. And if you knew Ronnie Van Zant, you know he was a Southern gentleman. 
that Ronnie Van Zandt, um, a true Southern gentleman, I'm sure you'll agree, that's what Ronnie Van Zandt was to me. A singer, a writer, a friend of mine, who I will remember till my end of time. My dreams and memories will always represent the joyous times that Ronnie and I spent. He and Jesus both were common men. They both died working for what they believed in. God, you could not have asked for and received a finer man, I do believe. He sang of a bird that was free. That bird to me is a great man named Ronnie. If there is a heaven, and I hope there to be, I'm sure he is there so deservingly free. We were raised and grew up together day by day. As I travel through this life, I pray that we may meet again and be together someday. Your lifelong friend, Gene Odom. Oh, that's nice, Gene. And that's exactly what he meant to me and, and how his life was uh, uh, portrayed in my eyes and my life. And then when I finished this thing, I, um, I done the same thing except a, a different view and started it like gone but will never be forgotten. And this was after years of sleepless nights and memories and everything combination. Gone, but will never be forgotten. And in his backyard, he had a willow tree that we always hung around on to take the berries off of it and put them in a bamboo and make these bamboo guns. Um, the willows are weeping, the sky is clear. There will always be one old southern boy's name spoken here. Sitting and thinking of times that we had leaves me knowing I can never be sad. Thinking of fishing or things that we'd do, life will never be the same, friend, not without you. Your passing sends chills through my spine, but just to have known you has been so divine. My nights are filled with sleepless hours, lying and thinking of times that was ours. Our friendship was a wonderful thing. A friendship like that could not be bought with the gold of kings. I know where you're at now, the music is beautiful. I hope your life throughout eternity will be the most pleasant and peaceful. Your eternal friend, Gene. Well, that's a, that's a tearjerker, Gene. Uh, it, it, it is, and it, they used to make me cry you know, to say these things, but I don't want to do that yeah. on this camera. That's, and that's perfectly yeah. natural, and time time does heal, but it, like you said, you never forget. It's always with you. That's a, It's yeah. not that you get over grief, it's that you find a comfortable place to put it, and you and you, lived, you live your life, but always in honor of him. And, you know, you wrote also that you, uh, when you were fishing with Ronnie, that's when you had, like, the best talks. Can you share any of that with us? I mean, that's when you really talked. You well, know, you, when that's you when, that's when we really talked, but that was when he would, that's when he wasn't under the influence of nothing. Right. Of, of crooked management, drugs, alcohol, all, alcohol, all that stuff, in the serenity of the, the, the swamp, the woods, the, the, the lake. And we, we could talk. Yeah. And that's, we, we, we did, that's when we could talk peaceful. And I could Was that just kind of like shooting the crap type of talk? That and how I felt what I saw, you know, at the, at the time, even before that, when we were just, kids fishing mm -hmm. it wasn't he didn't like to talk business 
Oh, no. And I never talk business with him. You know, yeah. And they've had a song he wrote about don't ask me no questions. You know? right, that's the best. Uh, some people would get kind of anxious, but not, not me. Is it when he says, well, maybe about fishing? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Maybe he's talking about you there. Yeah. yeah. And when we were fishing, serious fishing uh, and it, getting strikes, bites, catching fish, you know, there was nothing to talk about. It was just, you know. Get her done. Get, you know, get, hope it's a big one, you know. Yeah. You know, and when you get that for everybody, oh, Lord, fishing God, oh, oh fishing God, that gets a big one, you know, because you don't never know when that fish is going to be until you hook him and how big it's going to be. Yeah. That's a fishing God. Come on, fishing God. No, you said your grandson has followed in your footsteps. Yeah, he's a he's he's a very 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 good fish, fisherman. I can tell you that uh, a lot of the questions that came in from Facebook are about fishing. So Gene Odom, the fisherman. Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna start telling people if they want to go bass fishing. Get in touch with me. Come on down. My grandson's got a Triton bass boat, and we can go. Okay. Did you write any poems about that? Um. It's such a passion for you. Um, yeah, I, well, I did, you know. Um, you know, this one is uh, when I uh, having trouble sleeping or whatever, you know. And he would always call or call me when we were we were going to go fishing. I'd say, I'll call you, or just come to the house. I'll call you uh, when I'm up, or whatever. And um, I named this one the phone call. And um, it, it says, uh, it starts out, it says. The bird still flies around my home. The fish hangs on the wall. That old truck still runs the same, and I'm just waiting on your call. Those 4.30 calls we used to make to wake each other up are not forgotten to this day, and probably never will be. The poles are now gathered with dust. The boat sits idle and free. Fishing trips I take these days are not what they used to be. I lay and stare at the phone and wait for it to ring. All of a, all of a sudden, I remember, I'm only in a dream. Mm. I'm dreaming that you know, waiting on this phone call. Yeah. And these poems um, that you would call poems that that's nothing but pure life. I mean, that's you could call it a poem, but it's. Well, that, that's why it resonates with people because it's it's, it's from your heart. It's real. Uh, um, I hope. I, I well, I, I agree with your words there, but this these this this is. This book right here is a whole lot deeper, and um, that was one I uh, that that's Ronnie's song. That's the one that we did last night. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that is. That's Th that really was another one that can really make you cry. Very touching. Yep, and um, seeing that him with that hold on that big bass, and I told you about him catching that big bass. That was the best day of his life. I guarantee it, bar none. And it was amazing that it had the timing that it happened too. Yep. Yeah. Right before, right before we uh, went on tour. Gene, is there another one that you could share with us today? That yeah, I'm trying that to you, find that you think it. would be special for us. It's in here. I'm it's, trying to. It's trying to bump not into everybody. It. Not everybody is capable of writing a poem. I want you to know. It's not. It's it's not easy. It, well, it's got to be easy if somebody with no education, dumb as I am, can do it. It's got to be easy. Well, I, I dis I'll disagree on the dumb part, but you know, it's uh, and there's some great photographs in this book. Yeah, they. Uh, is that you? Let's That's look. me. Let's show it to the audience if they can come up. That is this Gene Gene Odom wearing a Leonard Skinner T-shirt. <laughs> that was a that was the that was the fall T-shirt that uh, from, wow. the, from the tour. Handsome. And that was some of my bandages after the plane crash. Yeah. Um, so this was this really was like a therapy for you when you were writing. Uh, it, no doubt, no doubt about it. Yeah. 
You could have written some songs with Ronnie if you if you'd tapped into that earlier. Yeah, if, if I learned how to play the guitar. Was and I was trying to count the the amount of songs that you are maybe kind of vaguely referencing. We, your family we know is Rayford, that's your brother, mm -hmm. which was so fascinating to me for me to learn that. Uh, and what was the other one that uh, oh Curtis Curtis Lowe? The ballad Curtis Lowe. Yeah, he said that's all you going to get the the. Uh, well, the lyrics about picking up the soda bottles and mm -hmm. taking pictures. Well, that was about me because. The Van Zants and the Rosington, Gary lives way, way away from the store. Right. But the Van Zants were too proud to take Coke bottles to the store. Gene Odom <laughs> wasn't. I'd go knee deep in that ditch head first to get a bottle of something. Dumpster diving. Two cent, two yeah. cent, three cent. You know, when, when Coke bottles went to a nickel. Money's money. God, I was filthy rich. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, what about, uh, well, you just referenced, too, um, the, uh, the song where he talks about going fishing. Maybe talking about fishing, maybe maybe fishing. Yeah. Um, don't ask me no questions. So that that's that, that's probably probably you that comes up there. Anything else that comes to mind? Um, that you that you heard a Skinner song and said, no, that sounds familiar. Or that might be something to do with me or our relationship. Uh, well, you make me think now. Um, um, because with, with Skinner, it's all about the lyrics. You know, make, just, you'd have to make me think. Yeah. Um, you know, was every song that they wrote, was that like fact, you know, based on fact or so? Some of it was hyperbole where they were using their creative license or they just maybe melded some different experiences together. You know, when they were writing about women, was it always about the same woman or was it about a variety of them? Or Well, I can't really answer that because I can't get in the mind of Ronnie or Alan or Steve or, mm -hmm. you know, those guys that wrote the songs. But Ronnie was, was a poet. Yep. You know, and you, sometimes you sit down and you write a poem. Mm -hmm. And the life that he lived growing up, Shantytown and that back forth, associates a whole lot with his po with his poem writing and his stuff. But he just come up with that stuff, mm -hmm. thinking, you know, and like the Curtis Lowe, the blues thing, you know. And there's, there's no, there was no words that say this Dwayne Allman, but there was a reference into the song about the blues playing. Yeah. And, and his was referenced, and then some other people, and all the Ronnie all incorporated the, those memories and those experiences into words. He yeah. put them into words into into his songs, and I, I can't answer that yeah. question. Well, do you happen to have a copy of Collectibles, spelt with a Y? That's uh, unique, very 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 early Skinnerd, uh, with I believe Michelle is on there and Alive and songs like that that you would probably really enjoy. So we have yeah. to we have to make sure we get you a copy of that. It's hard to find. I bet it is, but yeah. I think they do one of the Bad Boys Blues. That's that's a funny one. He had they had a lot of songs that they, they never they yeah. never recorded on. Yeah, and there's a big either. demand. There's also a big demand to hear it. Like it, it, oh, everybody loves when you know they went down to the crossroads. That was something that they routinely re performed in there when they when they were just you know getting to the top. Yeah. And they do it in one one more from the road, and it's just unbelievable. It's yeah. better than the original. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so you were there, and you, you know that, that's what that's what makes you so unique is that people want to know want to know these kind of things. What was it like to hear them live? And obviously, uh, if you, we if you, if you care to share any more of your poetry, it's really it would be lovely to hear another one. Well, maybe th some. This one is called Southbound Number One. Because Alan and Gary, Ronnie was gone, and they had a a meeting. It was over. Ronnie was dead. The music was over. Nobody could sing. And they were sitting around, he healing up, recuperating, whatever, trying not to figure out what they were going to do, whatever, you know. I was sitting around one day, you know, and I, I went over, I don't remember, the Allen House or whatever, or this um, um, 
studio there, whatever it was, uh, the, the double X, X studio they had. And um, I just came home, you know, and I, I wrote this one called South Isle Number One. Because Skinner was barreling across the country mm -hmm. and they were going places. And it says, well, that old train, it got derailed one day while steaming fast. Now as it lays all broken, I wonder how long she will last. The engineer and conductor were lost at the wheel. They were tangled in the mass of that great pile of steel. No smoke now rises from her stack, but she lies only inches from the track. Cars that were left standing are now filled with dust. Wheels that used to turn so fast are now full of, full of rust. The whistle and bell are silent now. Will they be heard no more? I'll walk down to her boiler one day and try to open up the door. Will she ever be turned upright? Will she ever roll? Her track still runs across the land under bridges that pay no toll. Mm. And that was to, for, to get that Skinner train back up rolling because yeah. they paid their toll. Yeah, know? they certainly did. Yeah, yeah and that's excellent. That's, it, it really tells the story of, uh, you know, just what, what you all went through. And I'm sure all, it took, it, it took, it seems to have taken years for everybody just to get back on track after that. It was such a shock. And do you, do you have any stories about that, about, you know, watching the evolution of what happened with, with uh, Alan, for example? I know that you were close friends with him growing up. A lot of people have expressed interest on, online asking about Alan. Alan is someone that is, you know, really revered in rock and roll and as well, well deserved. Uh, it, they all are. But Alan seems to be, keep, the name keeps coming up that so many people are asking about. Just little things about Alan, just to get to know him also a little bit. Well, they, when they got... They, they, they healed up and a whole lot faster than I would have. Of course, I wasn't in the band. I wasn't no musician. My healing didn't matter. But um, they started, you know, practicing, piddling, and whatever, you know. And um, let's see, was it um, about, about 80? Mm -hmm. Maybe 80. Three years after the crash. They put the, uh, the Ross and Jim Collins band together. And the reason to start with they got the girl singer is because go back. That's Dale, right? Yeah. yeah to, mm -hmm. to go back. Ronnie was dead. It was over. Nobody, Ronnie, wife, could, yeah. nobody could sing them songs. And so they they got the girl to do the singing. And they um, um, got, um, I don't want to have the right word to say, but. So there was like a, maybe a, a, a dispute over her, we'll say? Uh, yeah, kind of. It's okay. kind of like, Got uh, it. you know. I've read that before. Yeah, yeah and um, that caused a friction okay. in there, you know. And so they did one album, and then the second album they st started working on, Alan just got away from it. And so that's why the second album had no kind of hit material or no kind of good stuff because Alan Collins had nothing to do with it. And so then they, they went their separate ways. And Gary started his own band, and Alan started his band, and then he had that horrific car wreck in 1983, I believe, where he got paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you a quote. When he released the Alan Collins band, uh, he was uh, put, finished the book, and was, uh, went by Larkin's office and was talking to Larkin. They just released his album. 
and he was fixing to do Alan Collins' band tour. And the phone rang, Larkin got it, it was legal, MCA legal department. So they just shipped 250,000 albums, you know, and um, this album will be platinum here very soon. And so um, we started on the road and did, I don't know, but just three or four or five shows, maybe not many shows, and Alan broke that band up. And um, the word was that he was going to get him another singer and put the band back together down the road, but Kathy had passed away and he was all up. You know, that was his wife. Yeah, yeah all upset about that. So anyway, that put that all on Hades. And uh, so he got paralyzed. And just unbelievably fortunately, I happened to be in Larkin's office when MCA called and said, you know, they're just going to drop everything and let it album do what it's going to do because they can't put no money behind a paralyzed musician. Larkin, they talked business-wise, he said, I understand. So they're going to let his album do what it did. And I don't know to this day how many it sold, but it probably sold uh, over a million of here, there, and I'm back. I'm sure. And so the guy on the phone talking to Larkin said, Alan Collins' album was the best album since Street Survivors. Wow. Yeah. And that was... And I bet if it happened today, they they might have been more open to working with him, even though he was paralyzed. I uh, mean, possibly, but you know, you, you, the big, the big musician guys. Yeah. I'm not musicians, but the big money people. You know, if I had twenty dollars to invest in, um, in them glasses, because those are good glasses, you can see out of them. But if, if those glasses were broken, twisted, and the frames were falling apart, I wouldn't want to invest my $10 in those, that frame, you know what I mean? So I'm using that as a, whatever kind of word you use. But that was when he got paralyzed. Yeah, so that's what there. derailed him. Yeah. And, but I mean, he's just, like I said, it was kind of overwhelming how many people were calling. Alan is very beloved, and he, uh, there's, there was a lot of questions. One of the questions was, it was regarding his, when he was paralyzed, and uh, you know, if he, he just immediately kind of, they wanted to know if he just sort of dropped out and, and didn't really participate at all anymore in society. He kind of, when, when that happened to him, or if he, or, or if he continued to try to live a, a, a normal life. Well, he. To the best of his ability. When he, when he got in the wreck and the, and the girl died, he was sentenced. I'm not going to say how much time, okay. but he was sentenced to prison. Mm -hmm. And the reason he did was, it was de deferred is because he was paralyzed. And so um, he could use his arms to a certain extent, yeah. but he, he could never be Alan Collins. Right. And so they made, after he went to court, they agreed to let him do a, some public service announcements on stage okay. live. He did one or two, but he hated to be on stage because he couldn't play. Yeah, frustrating. And so the first time he went on stage, I was. He wanted me to push him up there. I push him up to the ramp. Then his daddy, I'll, I'll get the answer. I let his daddy push him up on stage. No big deal. And uh, that really, really affected him because yeah. he was Alan Collins. Yeah. To jump, soar, play Freebird, you know, do what he wanted to do. And he, when that, when, when all that left him, he just didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, and you, well, you had a good relationship with his father too, correct? That he, you had a, you, you knew he, him pretty well. I, oh, I knew him t t way too well, mm. you know, and I'm not going to talk on here about yeah. him. 
I understand. No, I appreciate. I mean, of course, when people aren't here, you have to protect them. You know, you don't, you can't. We're, yeah. we're not here to discuss anybody's uh, personal life or anything like that. I was, but right. it's just one of the questions that came up. People were asking about him, and uh, if there's, if I, if if I may ask you to read one more poem, that would be. I don't know if I got it. Oh, the one in the back. This is dated November tenth, nineteen eighty-two, and so a company out of. Greenville, a little bit north of Greenville, South Carolina. Can't think of a little town, but north of Greenville there. Called Faith Printing, was a religious printer. I contacted them about printing this book. And they said, well, we only do religious Bibles and religious paperwork and stuff. I said, I said, there's nothing in here that's out of line. And the cousin said, well, send it to us. So I sent them the manuscript and they went, oh, we'd love to do it. So they printed it up for me and then the book was finished. And my brother had, had just uh, passed away in jail. He was choked to death by the guards. And, um, oh my goodness. Yeah, and so um, I'm gonna do a documentary about that one day too. But, um, uh, and some poetry, I would think, too. I was thinking of you know, him, and they said, we need, to, we need a poem or something for the back of the book. Yeah. They called it, they called this something. Um, you know, at the front of the book, but the back, but they called it some kind of word. We need well, the something. epilogue where they do, yeah, they do the back. Yeah, and she said we need something that written by you on the back. We don't want to do it. We want you to do it. They usually ask for a little bio or something so that people know what it's about. And I had just wrote this, and I said, "How about this?" And it was it's death, is what I called it. Because my brother had just passed away, and then Ronnie, you know, and so they said, "Let me. See, what is it?" So I, t I told her, I said, "Oh, that'd be fantastic." So. This is called death. From what I know of death, I know, you know I'm still here. You know, but we're glad you're still here, Gene. You know, <laughs> some days it's questionable. You know, <laughs> get trying to get moving around with. We're, we're happy to have you. <laughs> you know, uh, people my age can drop dead for no apparent reason. At, at any age, yeah. right? But yeah. you're doing good. Go to bed dead and wake up feeling even worse. <laughs> but uh, it says, uh, "Death is eternal sleep." Where you never wake up, and the mountains you climb are never too steep. Where your soul roams in silent splendor, in a life where the living can only dream for. Death is the end of one life, the beginning of another, where all men who dwell are known simply as brother. I did that in November tenth, nineteen eighty-two. I have to say, I think that might be my favorite one so far. <coughs> it's uh, that's, that's it's very good. And here's another very one. Very good. It's not in the book, but and very accurate. I don't like to be late. If I'm going somewhere, whatever, I'm gonna be there early because I don't like to be late. Traffic, uh, I, I I can't do it. So anyway, this was this was the crash was October twentieth, and I got to the hospital about a month about a month. Um. After I got home, I was staying with, uh, staying with a buddy of mine. I was uh, and, uh, first two weeks I had to live, stay with my girlfriend because I couldn't get around, I couldn't move around. And so uh, I, I, I had to stay in a couple of weeks with her. I was home <clears throat> anyway. So I was going over to pick her up. Was going to get something to eat or whatever. And I was working on my book, and I had a little recorder beside me that I would think of something that I'd record with it. So. I was coming down Roosevelt Boulevard there and going to turn on um, um, 
San Juan Avenue, turn left on San Juan the railroad tracks there, you know. So a train, a train come through, a coal train, you know, they're 20 miles long, and I look like, man, I'm gonna be late. Mm. I'm gonna be running. Especially in Jacksonville, right? I, yeah, and I was, God, man, you know, so there were no cell phones back then. It was a landline, and it cost 25 cents to make a call back then. <laughs> uh, of course, won't tell Mom Bill, but we made it so we can do it with a dime, with a nickel. <laughs> To the pay in a quarter, we paid a nickel. But anyway, don't tell Ma Bell that. And so I don't um, think Ma Bell's around anymore. <laughs> That's okay. Um, She'll get over it. Um, I, I, I was looking at my watch. I went, God, emotions. I went, man. I punched the recorder on, and I went, it's called time. It says, there is a thing I missed us all, better known as time. It only travels in one way, never to unwind. We look at our watch to tell what time is it now, only to wonder where as time went. So fast, so silent, slow down. Yesterday I was 18, today I'm 29. Tomorrow I'll be 35, next year I'll be old man time. We're living our lives way too fast, and one day we'll regret the way we let time slip away and the times we can't forget. Friends, our time here is limited. An angel holds the key. So let's slow down our living. It's best for you and me. Wow. I wrote that. That's just, great, Gene. Just that fast, wow. doesn't it? That's, yeah, yeah that's all beautiful. It's, a, it's extremely touching. Yeah. Very. I mean, yeah. I, I might need a tissue on that one because this, you're, you're getting me today. Yeah. This is... Uh, I'm having yeah. to hold them back. Yeah. Know? I don't want to cry in front of the audience. Yeah. No, well, you could do it to us, Gene. I'll You've do done it, it to home. me already. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> You know what? That's a, you let it out. Uh, I have a few. I, I do have some questions for you from Facebook. So this is a question from Michelle, Amanda. This is a quest. Sorry, my question from Amanda from Facebook. She wants to know: A, are you friends with Johnny? And B, why aren't you close to Tammy and Melody Van Zandt? That is going to be a very difficult question to answer. You can you, whatever you feel comfortable answering. Never feel on the spot. If you don't feel comfortable asking it, you can plead the fifth. Uh, I would rather not answer those questions. It's okay. just you, you got to know you got to know people to know people, and you folks don't know people. Okay. Uh, those people. Well, I think the idea here is that we will respect your boundaries, and if there's right. something you don't want to say, you don't want to hurt anybody. I personally, that's I believe in that as well. So, um, I'll go on to another question, Amanda. Sorry. Uh, but I think we have to respect Jean's boundaries when it comes to certain questions, and so we'll just assume we wish everybody well. How about that? Yeah. That you, will, I feel that you you do for sure. At this point in life, I mean, there's no ill will. So, did Alan ever explain why he he switched from the the uh, Gibson Firebird to the Gibson Explorer? This is from Facebook. Did he ever explain number that? One, number one, he didn't have to explain that. <laughs> but when he Good got, answer. I think it was in 75 when he got the Explorer. And I'm not a musician, but when you play guitars, a, a lot of people have different sounds for different songs. They have a different guitar. And Alan had the Firebird before he had the Explorer. And he played a early on, I think he had a, what you call a, some other kind of weird thing. But anyway, um, he loved the feel of the guitar. Mm -hmm. And 
A perfect example of that is Free Bird. Oh yeah, well that's a I mean, work of art. You can't do that on every masterpiece. Guitar. And uh, I guess I find out the depths of the strings on guitars affects the way people record the guitar and stuff like oh. that. And for some reason he just fell in love with the Explorer. That was his music. I have to tell you the story about that guitar. I had that guitar for three hundred dollars. It's a million dollar guitar. Wow. Yeah. I, well, it had been stolen. You can't open up that can and not finish it. It, it had been stolen. Oh. And I didn't know that, but it had been stolen. Thank God for Alan's family and the guitar. Alan was gone, passed away, gone. But it's a hell of a story. Yeah. You gonna yeah. share it or too long? Maybe it's, next time. Maybe next time because it's pretty long. You know how how an individual went through the security system, motion detectors, motion sensors, and got that guitar. Wow. Yeah. Well. Sounds like one for another day. It is. Yeah, we I have told some people on Facebook one day, I tell them the story about how I ended up with that guitar for $300. Question, do you still have it? Oh, no, no, no. The, uh, the oh, you returned it to the family. Yeah. yeah I understand. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that's a doozy. I have other questions for you, though. They're coming, they're coming in from Facebook. That's a great story. So these are th these questions are, again. I'm going to leave it to you, Gene, if you want to. If you, I don't have the name of the gentleman that asked, but um, they want to know if you're friends with Gary, or if you're friends with Artemis. I would say, um, me and Gary. I saw Gary and Johnny and Donnie at Larry Johnstone's funeral, and we, we, the first thing Gary said was, "I saw your trailer about Ronnie's song, The Poemans. Oh, made me, oh, made me cry, Gene." Oh, it was like nice of him to bring it yeah. to your attention. Yeah, and so um, to make a long story short about Johnny and Gary and Artemis, I don't talk about Thomas Delmer Powell. His name is not Artemis. That's his stage name. His name is Thomas Delmer Powell. Um, I call him Delmer. Um, so um, So the, the question was, the first question was, are you friends with, John, uh, with Gary, really? That was the main question. And you can, you know, you, let's say you have, a, you have a cordial relationship. Well, I want to make it a long horror story, to just a, to a bad picture. Um, in 87, when they started the tribute band, tribute tour, uh, that was, like I said, for 10 shows only. And so Gary decided that he would keep going along with Johnny, and that was against the deal. Mm -hmm. And so I, there was a big lawsuit. Ronnie's estate had to sue, and I took side with Ronnie's estate, and I kicked their ass in mm -hmm. court, federal court out of Manhattan, New York. So I went against Gary. I went for Ronnie, my fishing buddy, his mm -hmm. family and his kids, and uh, I took up for that, and so the reason I didn't track Gary down and just beat his brains out is because him and Ronnie started the, started the Leonard Skinner Inc. Corporation uh, and got Alan and the, you know the rest of the guys, and so um, I accepted the fact that Gary tried to do a hostile takeover type thing. I don't know; I'm not a businessman, and so thinking that Alan would go along with him. Alan didn't go with him, so his hostile takeover didn't work. And I was the only person, this book right here is the only, my book agreement contract for this book in 1983 is the only thing that won Ronnie's lawsuit. I could prove that they were lying and they and that the deal that they, they did wasn't true. Called the blood of the So anyway, this is what won Ronnie's lawsuit for my dead fishing buddy. 
and it, so Gary says you'll never travel with my band again. And so that's that's his prerogative. Yeah. And so I don't try. And so. I, but you, you, he, was a, he was a gentleman too at the funeral, so that you shook yeah. hands. And we, we, yeah, we spoke. We spoke briefly, but I, uh, to call myself a friend of Gary Rosington, okay. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't because you don't know. You don't know um, that I, when I call you my friend, I could go to you and borrow fifty dollars, or you could come to me and borrow fifty dollars if I had it. Um, but I'm gonna leave friendship out of it, and that goes for Johnny too. Okay, that's a fair, uh, it's a fair, honest answer. Mm -hmm. I have other questions, but getting away from that kind of that that yep. that line of questioning, so probably, I think that uh, you know they're they like I said, they people have been reaching out since from Facebook and. Uh, you know, they're, they're loaded with questions for you. And I had another fishing question for you. <laughs> sure. What was the last time, what was the last last time where you had a big, you, 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 where you caught the most fish? Where I caught the most fish? Yeah. Not your grandson, you. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, I was. Uh, and where? That was the other part. Right here, right here in Lake, in Lake Apopka. In, in, uh, Apopka, in Orlando. Uh, not Apopka, no. Um, Right here, right here in Inverness. Um, okay. I, um, I can't think of the word. Chain, of, chain okay. of lakes runs through Inverness, a bunch of yeah. lakes. And then right before that, um, I went out to uh, Oklahoma to visit my daughter and some Skinner friends out there in south of Kansas City. She, she's an old Oki. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, in Kansas, some Skinner friends invited me to come up. They had a, they got a bunch of old school land with several lakes on it. And um, I come up there and said, Gene Odom, this is, nobody can fish these lakes, uh, it, it, but whoever we want to anyway. So went up there and uh, it was her territory. And uh, um, I caught so many bass, I had to quit counting them. Wow, I mean, okay. Was, and, but, the, but it's a private lake, you know, and I had a, I had a good time. Yeah, well, that's a great feeling. Oh my God, yeah. Were you jumping up and down? <laughs> uh, I just—it was—it was—it was almost uh, re repetitive, re yeah. redundant, or whatever right, right word, you know. And uh, had a good time. Yeah. Another, uh, another question from Facebook was: uh, pe People want to know what, what what does Gene Odom listen to now, other than Lynn and Skinner? When you're, besides, we know about Skinner, and we know about Haggard. Anybody else you're listening to? Hank Williams, Lefty Frizzell. Lefty Frizzell, okay. Lefty Frizzell, that's, I mean, my daughters know when I die, they can play Freebird if they want to, but don't put, put Hank and Lefty on, you know, and it better be played, it better be played. Because yeah. I got a song written for me, for them about just exactly at that time, Yeah. how I better be presented. Well, let's hope that's not for a very long time, Gene. Well, you, you just don't never know. Yeah. Well, you never know, and that's all of us, right? Mm -hmm. We all oh, yeah. live. We all mm -hmm. live. Our, we all live like that, Gene. So yeah. that's life, and that's why it's so good that we're capturing these moments together, and that you're able to share with your audience, which is large. At that and people, there's a genuine interest in your life, and uh, <laughs> I, ain't got nothing better to do, have they? I have another question for you. <laughs> <laughs> you only got nothing better to do if this life gets on you. Oh. Who played the drums for Artemis back in 1980 when he when he wrecked his car and broke his leg? Um, so in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I think it was a motorcycle. Oh, it was a motorcycle. I'm I'm not sure, but um, I can't. Motorcycle. I can't, yeah, it was. I can't remember because, to be honest with you, yeah, I'm gonna shoot straight from the hip. You? Yeah. Never. I'm gonna shoot straight <laughs> from the hip. 
I don't, Artemis don't get in my mind. Okay. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think about him. I don't, I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to get into it, but I just. Well, this is how people I'd get to know you and they might. about fishing. I hear you. And, and this is how people get to know you on your podcast is that, you know, now you know, you're introducing yourself and you're, show, you're letting people know what you're comfortable talking about. And they're just asking questions because they want to know because you were there. But, of course, uh, that's something that you don't, you don't want to comment on. That, yeah. that is respectable. I mean, that for sure. Yeah. How did Ronnie get the Hell House? Hell House, sorry. How did, he, how did he obtain that? Was it a rental agreement? Like, how did he get it? Because it was a smart move. They needed to be away from everybody. Well, that's that's how it happened. Um, let's start from the very beginning. When R Ronnie, Ben was put together, and they had a group of Ronnie, Alan, Bob Burns, Larry Johnson, and Gary Rosington. They needed a place, so they went to Bob Burns' carport, uh, which was a garage, and it was back then it was enclosed as a garage, and they rehearsed in the in, in the garage didn't take long for Bob's family to say, still got to go. So they went around the corner to Larry Johnstrom's house and got in Larry Johnstrom's living room. And, you know, and then Larry's mom and daddy went, you got to go. You're out of here. <laughs> so they went. The neighbors couldn't have liked that, yeah. No, and so um, I think Ronnie and Judy had an apartment over in Riverside, Avondale, Riverside area. They went there briefly. And so then they went to... Old Mandarin on Mandarin Road. If any of you people live in Mandarin, you know what Old Mandarin Road is on the riverside. They got a place there and stayed there for a while, but the folks in Mandarin said, Psst, you know, y'all got to find someplace else to go. And so Joe Crimp, which was a real dear friend of theirs, and Gary's, him and Gary were really, really close. Joe Crimp lived right down the creek, around the creek from the Hell House. So Joe told him, I said, hey, this place out here is Paco Tolta's, um, Johnny Hickenbotham that owned it. And um, so they, that was perfect. It was yeah. out in the woods. Nobody could complain. Nobody would run them off. And they, they stayed there until we finished the studio uh, right before the plane crash in Riverside and, and was going into the Riverside studio. They were going to have a different, like more obviously established uh, recording area. Yeah. Studio. So what? What get we? I, I've read about the Hell House. It was it was literally hot as hell. Hot, hotter than a fox in a forest fire. It was just a, a little place. The Hell House was probably small. Twenty or thirty feet, maybe about twenty feet. To, to, you know, it was just a small, like one little kitchen, like a little efficiency apartment. One bedroom, a bath, and a little kitchen, and a little tiny living room. And that's the whole living room area. Kitchen is where they set up and rehearsed. Yeah. And uh, I've also, in some of my readings, uh, Ed King, I think, was saying that he, he was assigned as the new member, that he had to watch it one night. He had to be the patrol. I don't know if they were, maybe, maybe they were hazing him, breaking him in a little bit. Well, right after they got there and started rehearsing, setting up, somebody came up from the riverside on the creek, stole all their equipment. Oh. I might know who that guy, but I ain't gonna mention his name. <laughs> so they, somebody had to start staying there because they, they stole all their equipment. Wow. Yeah, so he was creeped out, though. He wrote that it was terrifying. Yeah, yeah. it was back in the woods. The gators, and this, he wasn't used to all that. He was a California boy. There's still big gators and cottonmouths out there. There's a cottonmouth, yeah. one of the biggest ones in the world, I don't know that dock right now today. Did you all um, go swimming there? That, I can't imagine going in that water. But I read they, that you did. They did. They did. I mean, they, and then they built, they, um, Ronnie, built a, Alan. Built a temporary, a temporary old dock. board. Yeah. On the, the, the dock was there, but a board, diving board. 
Okay. And they'd dump, you know, it'd be so hot in there, you know. I mean, it'd be 185, 90 degrees. In they that weren't place. worried about gators? They probably was, but they probably wasn't at the time because they didn't have drunk six, 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 eight, the, the whiskey and all the other stuff and the beer and all the other stuff by the time they jump in there, you know. And that kind of, a, a small amount of noise, like a fish or an animal, that, that an alligator can feel that, that attract an alligator. But that kind of four, five, six human beings jumping, splashing, and screaming, that won't, that won't bring an alligator over. The alligator stay from that, away from that kind of nightmare. Right. You know. It almost sounds like you and you and uh, Ronnie had like almost like a Tom Sawyer childhood in, in many ways, and, and Huck Finn, like running around, going in, going in the lake and fishing, and just very simple. Uh, it's similar to that. It reminds a little. It was it was not easy, but would you say that would be a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah. We we loved and we he we loved fishing. We loved and we fished started fishing for black bass long before anybody ever fished for black bass. Really? And uh, before be a oh, long time. I'm talking about in the late fifties as wow. eight, ten year old boys. Yeah. You know, we would ride down to the creek and then when we got to drive we could go drive down there to uh, McGirt's Creek, mm -hmm. one of the best black bass fishing places in the world. And then we go to Lake Delancey, uh, Orange Lake, you know, we go around fishing. And hey, I wasn't the only person. I mean we would go catch brim or go fishing with somebody else or whatever it's kinfolks, whatever, but black bass fishing, it was me and Ronnie. I have another question uh, from Facebook. Uh, Ronnie loved dogs. Yeah, he had a couple Yikes. of uh, chihuahuas. But as a child, the, the chihuahuas were laid, didn't he call them, one of them Jaws? Um, because uh, there was a kind of, that was when that, that was around the, the, the time that Jaws came out. Well, Jaws was the alligator. Now, he, he had, I know, I know one was tiny, and I'm not sure if he had two at the time of the crash or just one, but I know he had two for the longest time. And what about as a as a child? As it, was there, were there any hound dogs or anything like that in the that you recall? We had dogs and neighbor had dogs, but I don't think the Van Sands had no dog that I recall having a um, having a dog. I don't recall the Van Sands having a dog. It could have, yeah. but I don't recall it. Yeah. Okay, so this is the uh, big question. This is from Matt. It's a good question. It's from Facebook. It's a question that many people have asked. There's many conflicting stories, of course, with different movies coming out and different versions of events. And uh, But the question is, what were Ronnie Van Zant's last words in the plane crash before the plane went down? Uh, his last words were, and I hate to repeat it, um, his last words, man, don't be fucking with me. I got to get some sleep. He thought I was messing with him. Yeah. He was so grogged out from those two sleeping pills, he he never knew the plane was crashing. He never, he didn't have time to realize the plane was crashing because I got him up from a fog from those two sleeping yeah. pills and of the effects of the alcohol and the cocaine the night before. Right. He was so drugged out. And probably irritable, it. too, and oh, tired. Well, I mean, you're tired. He was, I got him up off the floor and pushed him in there. He was, he, he went from being in a, a, a alcohol, drug-induced, uh, narcotic-induced sleep, the pills, sleeping pills, or one sleeping pill, but he had took, he had taken two, so he was completely He was anesthetized, he did, is that the word? He had no yeah. idea, he thought, because we used to joke about the plane crash. He said, this last words that I could hear was, don't be fucking mad, I slapped him, you know, and then I said, the plane's crashing, and then, I said trees, and then I started to run 
back to my seat. And if he hadn't unstepped his seatbelt, he'd probably still be alive. Yeah. And also, before you got on the plane, he kind of had a fatalistic view of it, I guess. So it would, would, has been reported that he was reportedly had said, uh, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Well, that was an, that was an um, after effect of, because I had went to the airport to argue with the, the pilots. Between the airport and me coming back, they were, the pilots were telling them that Gene Odom down here, you know, talking about this, that, and the other, trying to stop this, make work on the plane, whatever. And then the road manager was telling them, Gene's out there messing with the pilots. Don't pay attention. The pilots knows what's going on. The pilots say the plane's fine. Everything's going to be good. Let's, let's go. We're going to Baton Rouge. And a couple of the girls didn't want to fly. Billy didn't want to fly. Ronnie hated to fly, but at that time he was under the influence of alcohol and cocaine that night, late that night. And I'd been up all night long. And so um, um, they were you know, trying to say, stay here, uh, we don't want to fly. A couple of the girls wanted to take a commercial line. And so it, what it boiled down to was um, the road manager and the pilot saying, everything's fine, we can fly. The plane's good. The pilot said everything's good. Um, and we have a night off. That's why I begged the pilots to work on the plane there. And they, they said it boiled down to um, all, all, being up all night, arguing, ranting, raving. Would you want a party in Hillbillyville, South Carolina, or do you want a party tonight in Baton, Baton Rouge? Rouge yeah. And then said, let's get on the plane. So Ronnie, Ronnie was already pissed off with Alan really yeah. bad. And the, the girls wanted to come. He said, get on the plane. Uh, if you're not on the plane, you're fired. If it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Yeah. And Gene, not to cut you off there, but just to let the audience know if you, these stories are so intriguing and so touching and your, your memories of what took place. You can all see it. It's streaming on Amazon. Also, you can buy the video, the DVD. I'll Never Forget You, The Last, uh, the last 72 Hours of Leonard Skinner. Uh, it, it's very well done. Uh, it truly, it, it touches on everything here. So we're, we're just sort of raising the surface here. But we, if people want to go deeper, they can watch this. And also, you can also get signed copies from Gene on the website. Um, additionally, if you feel that the, really the true place to go and pay your respects to Leonard Skinner is the memorial in Gillsburg, Mississippi. It's, they did a beautiful job. Lovely people have, have opened it. Um, and the people that were the, really the farmers, they were the, the first responders. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, you can most likely meet them when you go there, which is really, they, they really open up their arms to you. And you can go pay proper respects to where these souls departed, essentially. And uh, I, I encourage you to do so. Gene, we're going to wrap it up here, but I would like to ask you. Tell them the date, June the 6th. Well, that were they're they're working on some things down there where they're that the they they haven't landed on a date yet, but they're working on having more events where they had they had uh, nothing fancy performed back in October, and a lot of people from the Van Zant family attended. It was it apparently went quite well, and it really is a beautiful tribute. I mean, I, it, uh, if you're if you're a Southern rock fan, you you and your friends need to take a road trip down there because it's it's an experience, and it's where I got to meet the great Gene Odom and and develop this friendship, um, Gene. I would like to uh, end this today, and today I'm not going to put you on the spot, and I'm not going to say, hey, Gene, make me laugh, because that puts you on the spot. But I know you, you always have some words of wisdom for us or something that you'd like to share, and if, if you care to, uh, thank you for sharing your poems, first of all. They were very touching and moving, and I, I think you really, truly have talent, and they, I'd like to see them set to music, quite frankly. I ain't got no talent. Well, My talent is not having no talent. 
Okay. Well, whatever it is, you got a big audience listening to you. Anything you'd like to say to anybody? Any out there in in, uh, in Facebook land? Yeah. Well, keep, keep my old fishing buddies music alive. Y'all doing a good job. You like it, and uh, keep a spirit alive. Leonard Skinner, I'll oh. never forget you. And maybe one day in the near future, I may reprint this book. Just hard to try to find a printer, but we may reprint this book. In, in, uh, the, pi the pictures are amazing in there. In verbatim, we, yeah. might, we might reprint it. So you might have a chance to get one. They go on the internet, I hear, for quite a bit of money. I wish I had a box of them, but um, uh, not in Amazon. I'm not Amazon? Or Amazon. eBay or whatever. Um, and so uh, keep your eyes open. You got a little fishing ditty for us to say goodbye to the folks? Anything? Um, <coughs> got pneumonia. I shouldn't have took that damn cruise. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, let's see. That was that was good enough, Gene. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, everyone. Gene, uh, as always, you're the best. Okay. Gene, Gino, the one and only Genome and the man, the myth, the legend. Thank you. Till next time. Always a pleasure. We'll do it again. Thank you.